Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. Glad to be here with y'all today. Of course, there is uh, some news in the governor's race. I want to get to that first and foremost here on the program. You heard it during our newscast. I want to break down some of these numbers. This was a poll done by uh, John Cuvion with JMC Analytics. It was at the behest of an independent candidate for uh, attorney general here in the state of Louisiana. So here are the results. Uh, let's let's go with the attorney general race first. Uh, so you've got John Belton, who is running in that race. He's actually leading that one with 13 percent of the vote. Uh, Liz Merle, who is the second in command under Jeff Landry, who's the current attorney general, but is running for governor. Uh, Merle is uh, behind at 10 percent. Then you have uh, John Stefanski, who has 7 percent. Then you have another Republican, Maley, and the rest, the 68 percent are undecided. So that one is a fairly undecided race. I would imagine that with a lot of the money behind Liz Merle right now, you will see once the ad campaign really picks up, you'll see that number jump. I'm not sure what Belton has in terms of money. But we will see on that one. Here is the big, big number that you need to note. In the poll results, according to JMC Analytics, Sean Wilson has 29% of the vote. So that's going to be roughly a third of the Louisiana electorate, which is about what I've been telling you he was likely to get. Democrats have consolidated behind Sean Wilson fairly, fairly quickly, Uh He's still kind of a, I mean, if, if you just look at the 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 demographic layout of the state of Louisiana and the party registration in the state of Louisiana, Sean Wilson is a long shot candidate. But so was John Bell Edwards. And we've ended up with a governor for two gubernatorial terms, uh, a Democrat for two gubernatorial terms. So you need to note that it's not impossible for Sean Wilson, the former director, or the former yeah, the former director of the Department of Transportation Development, he's got about a third of the state vote locked up. Now you do have twenty two percent of the vote undecided, but here are the other numbers you need to know: Jeff Landry, twenty eight percent of the vote; Garrett Graves, Congressman Garrett Graves, Garrett Graves with twelve percent of the vote; Hunter Lundy, the Independent, with three percent; John Schroeder, State Treasurer, with three percent; Sharon Hewitt, the State Senator, with two percent. And uh, Representative Richard Nelson with 1%. And again, 22% undecided. So here's the breakdown here. Graves has 12%, but this poll was taken before he backed out, before Stephen Waggispack jumped in. Kuvion, in a in an interview with Greg Hilburn with uh, the USA Today Networks, you can find this over the advertiser's website, um, Kuvion says you can probably imagine about half of that Graves' support to go to um go to wag uh, go to Wagaspack. So about six percent of that, but that leaves six percent that would go elsewhere. And again, this kind of goes back to what I've been saying. The the folks who do not want Jeff Landry to be governor have broken apart. And a lot of them, a lot of the Baton Rouge base of power in that Seems to be consolidated. They were consolidated around Garrett Graves when they were trying to get him in. Now they're trying to consolidate around Wagaspack. The problem is Wagaspack waited so long that 
they were all kind of tied up. So you'll probably see that start to consolidate around Wagaspak when some of these polls start taking his candidacy into account. Keep in mind, though, Jeff Landry still has a significant lead over every other Republican in the race. In fact, every other Republican by this count, let's see, 28 percent for Landry. So 12 percent for Graves, uh, three for Schroeder. So that's 15 percent, another three percent between Hewitt and Nelson. So that's 18 percent. So Jeff Landry has a 10 point lead over all of the other Republican candidates combined in this poll. That's pretty significant. And that is, at this point, seems insurmountable, especially when all of those candidates don't have the level of money that Jeff Landry has in this race. So it is very, very important to note that Jeff Landry is winning in terms of the polling and is winning in terms of the money game. But that Graves question, how much of that actually does go to Stephen Wagaspak? How much of it will go to John Schroeder, Sharon Hewitt, Richard Nelson? Not quite sure. Looking at Hilburn's story, but the poll, which was conducted March 6th to March 8th, included Republican Baton Rouge Congressman Garrett Graves running third at 12% before Graves opted out of the race last week. When Graves opted out, his friend Wagaspak, president of the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry for the past 10 years, entered the race. Republican State Treasurer John Schroeder, the first to launch a statewide TV ad this week, was next at 3%, followed by independent trial attorney Hunter Lundy at 3%, Republican State Senator Sharon Hewitt at 2%, and Republican State Representative Richard Nelson at 1%. 22% of those surveyed for the governor's race said they are undecided. Kuvion said he believes in Graves' He believes in Graves' absence that Wagaspak might secure as much as half of his support if a new poll was taken. Meanwhile, Landry continues to his effort to consolidate Republican support through endorsements and fundraising. On Thursday, Landry headlines a massive fundraiser in Baton Rouge where the campaign expects to raise more than $500,000 in one night for his personal campaign and the political action committee that supports him at the home of Republican mega donors Dan and Carol Hurd. His campaign noted the event is right in Wagaspak's backyard. In the attorney general's poll, which Belton commissioned, the Lincoln Parish District Attorney secured 13%, followed by Landry's Solicitor General, Republican Liz Merle, at 10%. Merle has nearly doubled her opponent's fundraising with 896000 in cash on hand before her la- or in her last report. Stefanski reported 512000 cash on hand, followed by Belton at 455000 on hand. So, again, all of these polls that are commissioned and released, most of them are trying to tell a tale right now. But there's a common theme throughout. Jeff Landry has a considerable lead over the Republican field. Now, Jeff Landry released a poll that was commissioned that showed him at like 49% of the Republican voters supported him in a uh, in a poll of all voters uh, commissioned by uh, Lipsy was what's his name Richard Lipsy something like that in Baton Rouge that showed Landry at his weakest with 23 percent this poll from uh, John Cuvion shows him at 28 uh, percent and that is with Sean Wilson consolidating Democratic vote at 29%. So Landry is 
in the mid to high 20s, I would I'd be willing to guess based on kind of the average of all that and kind of based on where the Republican field is right now. And Sean Wilson has pretty much secured the Democratic vote. All Democrats are basically ready to vote for Sean Wilson. The Republican Party field is very diverse, probably too diverse for the Republican Party to be happy with right now. They can take solace in the fact that, again, Jeff Landry is dominating the field right now in terms of percentages, in terms of the poll numbers, and in terms of the money. This fundraiser this week that was mentioned in the story will help extend that lead in the money game. Jeff Landry will be able to just run ad campaigns and pick up his name ID. He doesn't have to address Stephen Wagaspak. He doesn't have to address John Schroeder, Sharon Hewitt, uh, uh, Richard Nelson. He doesn't have to address any of them. All he needs to do is just run ads about himself, promoting himself, what he is going to do as governor. All of that said, though, I do wonder how much of that big money that doesn't like Jeff Landry, that is focused in Baton Rouge, how much of that will consolidate around one candidate. When it was first a question of Jeff Landry, John Schroeder, or Billy Nungesser, Billy Nungesser was barely mentioned at all, and everybody was really talking about Schroeder and Jeff Landry. And a lot of the consensus from some wary conservatives who liked Jeff is that they were worried that Schroeder was going to be uh, the Baton Rouge insider guy. Well, now that's not even Schroeder's path at this point. Now Schroeder, I'm not sure what his path is going to be. The insider Baton Rouge money seems to be following Stephen Wagaspak. And, of course, his ties to big business in the state, his ties to the business community in the state, that does help him open up a little bit more of a pathway to get money than some of the other candidates. But so many of the Republican big donors in the state are already backing Landry. They're either going to back both men or they're not going to back either. I imagine most of them are willing to back Jeff Landry. They just want to consolidate. They want to get a Republican win. Those that are really passionate about Republican politics, they're going to go with the guy that's in the lead and the guy that has the most money. They're going to give more money there. Those that really dislike Jeff Landry for personal reasons or think that He's too extreme. He's too conservative. They're going to back Stephen Wagaspak. I don't think there's going to be as much splitting of the money in the business community because I'm not sure the business community really knows what to make of Jeff Landry, if I'm being honest. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But that's the state of the race based on this poll from JMC Analytics, and that is kind of the state of play on the governor's race. Some more thoughts on this and some other things when we come back here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Of course, you can call in 232-1542 or send a message through the KPEL app. Just tap the little text button up there in the corner, hit general message, send me a message. What do you think about this poll or whatever topics I'm covering today? All that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show right here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So I want to keep looking at this poll. There is some other data that I think is important, and it, it kind of plays not just in Louisiana, but across the country, although in various ways across the country. There's one question in this poll that I find very fascinating, both in terms of the question and in terms of of the results. 
regardless of what political party you are in, how would you describe yourself politically? So it's not asking for party, it's asking for your ideology. 28% say very conservative. 21% say somewhat conservative. 22% say moderate. 14% say somewhat liberal or progressive. 7% say very liberal or liberal or progressive. And 8% say they don't know. So 49%, almost half of the state, based on this poll, sees themselves as somewhat or very conservative. 21% of the state sees itself as liberal or progressive, either somewhat or very liberal or progressive. And 22%, that last little bit, not including the 8% that don't know, 22% consider themselves moderate. They are not really extreme in one way or the other. I'm going to say something that a lot of you listening are going to take wrong. You're you're going to take this the wrong way. And I want to preface it by saying I'm not saying what you think I'm saying. That 22% of the state that sees itself as moderate, that's going to be Jeff Landry's biggest challenge. Now, I'm not saying that Jeff Landry needs to moderate himself to win them over. I'm not saying that. Please do not say that you think I'm saying that, or please do not take it as me saying that. That is not at all what I'm saying. 22% of the state looks at both parties and looks at the rhetoric that comes from both parties and thinks that doesn't apply to me at all. Jeff Landry has, for the last few years, played the role of the attorney general who deals with the culture wars quite a bit in Louisiana. You're not going to find that that 22% of moderates really particularly cares about a good bit of that. Some of it they do. We've seen across the country that in some of those culture war battles, even moderates do say, okay, this is going a little bit too far when talking about their progressives. But not every one of those culture war fights is a fight the moderates really care about. Jeff Landry doesn't need to moderate, but he does need to find a way to get his message of conservative values, of conservative stewardship of the state. He's got to make them appeal to moderates without compromising himself. Now, there are ways to do it. I've long maintained that the best way for Republicans to win moderate voters and even start winning in minority communities is to take a very hard stance on freeing up school choice. School choice is probably the premier civil rights issue of the day. Minority parents, poor, lower income, urban minority parents in particular, are very, very interested in getting their kids into better schools to give them opportunities that are not available in the places they live. They want their children to be successful. They want their children to have a shot in a cruel and unforgiving world. If Jeff Landry were to make a pivot and and if he were to talk about opening up school choice and school reform and things like that, 
that 22% of moderates will start rubbing their chins and looking very, very interested at Jeff Landry. But that also leaves room for some of the other Republicans to do that. He has to take use of his name recognition and his money and his message in order to turn that into his personal platform. And it's not just school choice, it's other issues. All right, 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation. I don't normally do this, but I want to give a shout out because of this bumper right here. It's from a group, a local band called the Obese Kids. That's with a Z at the end of kids. There are some local students here in Lafayette Parish. This particular song is called Billy Nungesser. Could not resist playing it. But shout out to those kids. I'm going to take a break. I'll be back in just a moment right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of that conversation. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation or send a message through the KPL app. If you don't have the KPL app, you definitely, definitely should have it. Uh, go to whatever your app store is. Find KPL News, download that app. You can listen to us live through the app. You can read all the stories that we have posted on our website. Uh, you can get podcasts of most of the shows on the air here. I mean, all that and more. Plus, like I said, there's a little chat, but a little text button up at the top right corner. You tap that, you hit general message, and you can send me a message right here on the show. All right, let's go to the phone lines. I've, I know some folks have uh, some things they'd like to say as well. Welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show. Who's on the line? Hey, how you doing, Ted? Hey, Ted, how are you? Good, man. I, I was I was um, listening to you talking a few minutes ago about what the Republicans need to do to get the, the votes and stuff like that. Uh huh. Why don't they just do like the Democrats and uh, and and buy it? So I really that's what, that's what they do. Well, I, I want you to think about what, what Joe Biden did. Before the midterms. Now, you see, remember it was supposed to be a red wave? Uh-huh. Okay. It didn't happen. The Senate now has the majority. And the uh, Congress, uh, we, you know, we squeaked by. But it was supposed to have been a red wave. But you remember right before he came out with that student, uh, 10,000 and 20,000, and he knew, Biden knew it was not going to pass. He knew uh-huh. it. But he sat at a desk and he signed his, his executive order, and all these people followed it and said, well, I'm going to vote for him. He's giving me money. Now, here's here's my counter to that, Ted. All right. Let's take the school choice thing. Let's create a new entitlement. Let us give the money that is supposed to go to schools for each child and give it to those families instead. Why not do the same thing there? Why not give parents that opportunity to choose by sending that taxpayer money that normally goes straight to the schools Give it straight to the parents. Instead, let them decide. Why not create an well, entitlement I, I told, that way? I mean, I, I totally agree, but you, but, but I, I don't. The majority of the voters, I mean, I, I talk to people who vote. Mm-hmm. But I ask them just simple questions about our government and about who's even whatever, and they have no clue. They don't. Oh, so absolutely. They're, they're, not, they're not informed, but they'll vote. Mm-hmm. And if you start throwing money at them, you see, like what you're talking about, it would involve people to have to think. But you send them a check in the mail or a little bitty blue card in the mail for food, that's who they're going to vote for. The American voter, and Ted, thank you very much for the call. The American voter, on average, across the country, the average American voter 
is actually what Rush Limbaugh would describe as a low-information voter. To, to be honest, the average voter. However, people are smart and people do pay attention. And people, for example, know that if they were given money by the government to allow them to send a ch- their child to a school of their choice, a school that does perform well, a school that has options and opportunities for their kids, those people who may have voted Republican for decades would turn right around and say, this is way better. This is how you do it. This is how you get my vote. Give my kids a better opportunity. Give, let me have the money and be able to spend that money on my kids' education the way I see fit. It's just the same as creating any other entitlement system, except it opens up choice. Most other entitlement systems are very restrictive. And in fact, they keep you there at, the, at, the, at that lowest level as possible, make you dependent. This is an entitlement that actually offers opportunity and moves families and children ahead to where they don't need entitlement. They grow out of the entitlement entitlements just by virtue of being able to have more opportunity. The average American voter, low information, but people who are paying attention to their own needs, they're smart. They're smart enough to know what their needs are, and they're smart enough to look at the politicians and see what they're giving them. Now, the counter to that will be most of the media, the way the information gets taken out there. So they would get their information from left-leaning media who are all pro-education, pro-public schools, pro-union. They would see this as a crippling attack on public education. But we're getting to the point, if you look at the poll numbers and you look at everything that's happening in the world around us right now, everything that's happening in the country, what you'll find is that parents are very, very dedicated to the idea of the education system changing. COVID helped with a lot of that. Go and look at the numbers of how many people have switched from public schooling to homeschooling because they saw what a lot of ill-prepared teachers were offering through Zoom calls. Through the pandemic. And I'll tell you this, because I was part of that system, most teachers were not properly trained on how to provide a lesson via Zoom. They were not given the resources to be able to do so. And thankfully, thankfully, locally and throughout the state, we didn't have the types of long-term closures that you saw elsewhere. And in other parts of the country, you saw people that were, their kids were forced to stay home for far too long, and their kids lost a lot more than Louisiana kids lost. And despite all that, we're still 49th in the country. We're getting better. I really do think that the state is getting better. But we suffered far fewer losses in terms of education and in terms of growth than other states because we actually stayed open. But the parents who kids' schools stayed closed and their kids missed out and their kids suffered. They grew depressed. They were isolated. They were alienated from their friends. Their social and emotional and intellectual growth all stagnated. Those parents are desperately looking for alternatives to the current system. And on top of all that, with all the other, what everybody would call the culture war stuff going on, parents are tired of hearing about drag shows in libraries. They're tired of hearing about the trans stuff. They're tired of hearing that. Put, I mean, you have high-profile stories A teacher in one school district somewhere in the country was actually helping a kid hide their gender identity from their parents and trying to help them transition against their parents' will. And that's not just an isolated story. 
So you have a lot of parents who are hearing these stories and they're getting irritated. And then they go talk to the school board. And what happens? The Justice Department sends out a missive saying uh, the, the, the unions asked for the Justice Department to essentially say that schools should be watched out and local uh, law enforcement should treat the, should, should look at this kind of like terrorist activity, domestic terrorist activity. This is where we're going. Honestly, like I said, this the, the education issue alone is probably the next big civil rights issue of the day. And substantial reform to the education system is going to come one way or another. Now, it depends on who's going to be in power. If the Democrats take power, it's going to be more consolidation in the public school system. The unions get more power and things stagnate a whole lot more. If it's Republicans and it's Republicans who are not bought out by the unions and Republicans who see an opportunity for change and an opportunity for advancement then you could see actual substantive change. We're trying to get there as a country, but we're not quite there yet. But opening up school choice, however you do it, whether it's through this new entitlement where you hand the checks that normally go to the school systems to the parents instead and let them decide, that could help. That could really help. 232-1542, if you want to be part of the conversation, Lots more to talk about today. Uh, some of, uh, so looking at the national scene, I want to go to this real quick. I find this incredibly interesting. Chip Roy, a uh, Freedom Caucus member, a conservative in the U.S. House of Representatives, has is the first major politician to make an endorsement in the 2024 presidential race. And he's endorsing Ron DeSantis, who isn't even in the race yet. But he's, uh, but... But his office put out a letter today. I want to read the letter to you, or in, in part at least. The next president of the United States must be a vibrant and energetic leader with the faith, vision, and courage to chart a new course. America needs a leader who will truly defend her and empower the people against the destructive force of unrestrained government and corporate excess, profligate spending, and woke cultural indoctrination. That leader is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Governor DeSantis is a man of conviction, a man who puts his faith in God first as a dedicated husband and father. He grew up a white-collar kid who worked hard, got a great education, and used it to immediately serve his country. He loves America unapologetically, but loves freedom and the rule of law even more, with the courage to fight for both. And the letter goes on like that. That is Chip Roy's endorsement of Ron DeSantis, the first major politician to come out with an endorsement And it's for somebody who hasn't even declared yet, but is probably going to declare after the legislative session in Florida is over in a couple months. Meanwhile, you have Donald Trump, who is putting together an opposition, an oppo research file, not on Joe Biden, but on Ron DeSantis. You have other candidates who are wanting to jump into the race, and they're all trying to figure out what's the best way to create change in the Republican Party and move the party forward. And Ron DeSantis is out there. You can clearly tell he's running for president. But DeSantis is out there. He's not saying Here's where the Republican Party needs to go. Here's where the country needs to go. He's just saying, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm going to do. 
he's actually showing what he has done as governor. And it's not just the culture war stuff. That's that's the one thing. That's the the one thing that I know people on the national side in terms of donors and supporters are worried about. Can Ron DeSantis pivot away from the culture war stuff? But at the same time, Ron DeSantis has a record as governor where he has done non-culture war stuff and has advanced Florida forward. But in Louisiana, some people are asking the same question about Jeff Landry. What is Jeff Landry's plan for governance in the state of Louisiana? And that is going back to what I was saying in the in the uh, first half hour of the show. That's where Jeff Landry is going to have to come in and somehow convince that 22 percent of moderates that he is going to be somebody who is not just a fighter, but somebody who is a steward of good governance in the state who can move the state forward from this stagnant position it's been in for decades. If Jeff Landry can do it, that 22% of moderates will start trickling toward him. But if he can't do that, where are they going to go? All right, let's take a break and then come into our last segment, 232-1542. If you want to call or send a message through the KPL app chat, we'll be back here on the Joe Cunningham Show in just a moment right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542 if you want to be part of the conversation. So I'm going to do something I don't get to do very often, which is talk sports with you guys. Because I'm extremely excited about Thursday night when the Cajuns take on the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, the Vols, so they've had an inconsistent season. I don't know if you've followed them a whole lot. They, they've, they've had some kind of ups and downs. The, the Cajuns have too, don't get me wrong. But uh, but the Vols have, have really, they, they've got some issues right now that, that actually does, you know, help the Cajuns out. I don't know if it'll help the Cajuns out enough. I'd like to think it would. Uh, but when the, when the Cajuns were playing for uh, the conference championship, one of the things that, that really showed a weakness in their offense was the fact that uh, Jordan Brown, when, when he got double teamed, uh, by the defense, uh, South Alabama defense, uh, that slowed down their offense a lot. They they started losing some of their offensive performance there, so they've got to figure out a way to, to move the ball and make sure that he doesn't get trapped like that so that they can continue to perform pretty well. But Tennessee, I mean, sophomore point guard uh, Sakai Ziegler, who has been averaging double digits uh, this season, has had a pretty good season. He got injured uh, tore his ACL at the end of February, so he's not going to be. Uh, I mean, he's it's a season-ending injury. Uh, he's not even going to be there in Orlando on Thursday night with his team. Um, senior guard Josiah Jordan James has a sore ankle and a problematic knee. Uh, freshman forward Julian Phillips, uh, he's got a hip flexor problem that's been slowing him down. Uh, senior Tyreek Key, he's also got a sore ankle that's been bothering him. Uh, senior guard Santiago Vescovi also in, but his shooting shoulder has been bothering him as well. So that's a lot of the offensive potential for Tennessee that is kind of banged up a bit. And that bodes well for uh, an aggressive Cajuns team. If, you know, like I said, Jordan Brown, if he can perform an offense without getting stopped too much, anybody who watched that South Alabama game uh, saw that on the film and sees that as a potential weakness, and they will exploit that. Uh, but if they can move the ball and and get him freed up to be able to make plays inside the paint, I think the Cajuns are going to have a fantastic night. I mean, it really could be an upsetting kind of night. 
I mean, it is just a seven against a thirteen seed. It's not like it's it's a it's a top seed versus a bottom seed situation. And this round is always the round for some excellent upsets in March Madness. I hope to see one here. The problem for Tennessee is going to be what the the problem for every top seeded team when you come in, especially if you're coming in as banged up as Tennessee is. Are you going to put too much stock into the conference you come from in your into your record and into your ranking? Because if you do that, Tennessee is just gonna they're, they're going to start off very slow. The Cajuns will get ahead. And it's going to be very hard to come back. And that's where the, I think the Cajuns will do their best. The Cajuns will do a very good job of I think surprising Tennessee, and I think they can take advantage. They do have a lot of ability. They they do have a lot of guys who can perform on the floor, and it's not going to be a problem to contest Tennessee. I want to see the Cajuns win, though. And we will have it, so uh, you can listen to it on Thursday night right here on KPL. We will have more uh, info on that throughout the week. Uh, but as of tip-off, you will be able to listen to it right here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. That's it for me. I'm going to take a 23-hour break. Be back tomorrow. In the meantime, find me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, email joe at redstate.com, and, of course, find me on Substack, all of my writings, a podcast of the show, available there, joecunninghamshow.substack.com. Shannon is offside with Gary Cruz next here on News Talk 96.5 KPL.